Hello, you're listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Eastertide, we are asking our Lord to teach us to pray. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, and in response, he gave them what is both one of the most simple and yet complete prayers. In the Didache, one of the earliest documents of the church from the second century, it simply instructs Christians to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Christians have devoted themselves to this prayer from our Lord ever since he first gave it, and we are going to ask him to teach us this spring through prayer. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Our Father in heaven, uh, we pray that even as we... Uh, come again uh, to consider the Lord's Prayer, uh, that our hearts would be stirred in us, that we might say again, hallowed be your name. Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, meet us in this time. Uh, stir in our hearts. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, I want to uh, begin this sermon uh, with a poem. It's a preacher's trick to normally end sermons with poems. We'll get there, but I want to begin with a poem. Okay, this is by George Herbert. Many of you might be familiar with him. He was a, a pastor and a poet in 17th century uh, England. This is Love Third. Uh, Love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply. Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, true Lord, but I've marred them. My shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love. And taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Okay, there's this movement in this poem. And of course, it begins with love bidding welcome. Come. Come close. Let me feed you. Let me give you more than your daily bread. Let me love you. But the reality of sin and shame of overwhelming need causes the person here to distance themselves and make all the reasons why they can't come close to love. Um, worthlessness or not being worthy enough. And yet love keeps imploring. And then finally at the end, 
Did you notice this? Finally, at the end, the person says, well, I'll at least come and just be a servant. And love says, no, I want you at my table with me, my child. Okay, now prayer can be something that is just really rote. You know what I mean? We just go through the motions of it. Um, words without any heart. That's what that means, right? Words without the heart. Um, and maybe especially prayer can be something that's really rote when you just have words that are given to you and all you do is just say the words written for you. Some of you probably know that experience. I mean, we have a lot of prayers in our service that are just written out for you. All you need to do is say them. And there's a temptation with that kind of thing to just say the words and not have the heart. And, um, the Lord wants us to hear the invitation of love, which is invitation to communion with him, life with him. He wants you to bring your requests before him, to lay them at his feet, to hear him welcome you. The Lord, it seems in scriptures is deeply concerned with actually even specific prayers. The Lord gave us a set of words, but he always wants love the heart to be there. Uh, I've mentioned a few times in this short series that we've been in from Easter to today on the Lord's prayer, that the church has consistently been saying these words that the Lord gave us for the last two millennia. In fact, most Christians throughout the world who are gathering together on this Holy Lord's day will say the words of the Lord's prayer. And most Christians throughout the world have done that throughout history. They've gathered together in churches just like our own and said these exact words. Um, just last week, I mentioned to you the Didache, which is the oldest uh, sort of cate catechism uh, teaching of the church that we know of. Many date it late first century, at least early, uh, at the latest early second century. It's actually titled the teachings of the 12. And mo most people think it was actually the next generation after the apostles that compiled this as the teachings of the 12. And I mentioned to you that what it says is just pray the Lord's prayer. It's got a chapter, a little paragraph on prayer. And this is actually all it says. Okay. I actually wrote it down this time. Do not pray as the hypocrites. Don't just pray rote things with no heart. So, um, but pray as our Lord commanded us. And then it just writes out the Lord's prayer. And it just says, pray thus three times a day. That's the entire teaching of the earliest text we have is just pray this, pray these specific words. So the church prayed these in obedience to the Lord, but what it also said is do not do it without the heart. Do not do it without the heart. Um, it's a, it's a written prayer with specific words. And there's a temptation in that to just do it with rote sort of rote going through the motions um, and actually the Bible gives us lots of written prayers. You know that the whole Psalm book is essentially a prayer book. 150 of them. God says, here's words to pray to me, but God never wanted it divorced from the heart. Now I think the answer to doing this is remembering that it is love who is bidding you to come love. That's calling you to pray. 
Love who is saying, come and be with me and pray and speak to me and live with me. Um, I think this might seem like a strange way to end this series on the Lord's prayer, but I want you to see that the answering the answer to having uh, to this difficulty of praying the specific words that were given, not divorced from the heart is this idea that love is bidding you welcome. And specifically the answer is to seeing God as father and as friend. Okay. God is father and God is friend. And that's the two kind of main points that I want us to consider today. God is father and God is friend. But what we're going to do is we're going to flip flop those. Okay. God is friend. And then God is father, because I actually want us to kind of look at the end of the Lord's prayer. And then again, at the beginning quickly. Okay. So first God is friend. When I say the end of the Lord's prayer, what I mean is that little tag for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. And a lot of you are very astute people. I know this because I know you. And if you've been listening, as we've read so many times this spring from Luke chapter six and Ma- sorry, Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter six about the Lord's prayer, you probably noticed that's not in there. And we say it all the time. That little part is not actually in those texts. Now um, you might know that the King James version actually includes that, but that is, that is not in the earliest and or the best manuscripts that we have of the gospels. Um, and yet I would say this still, we should still pray that um, two reasons. It is widely believed and uh, widely, widely agreed upon that no Jew would ever, ever have ended a prayer with and deliver us from evil. No one would have done it. Certainly no rabbi would have taught a prayer like that. And so most people think Jesus was assuming the cultural uh, precedence, which would have been to end with a doxology to God. So Jesus would have maybe assumed that. But the other big reason is that actually we know that the church from the earliest, earliest time included that little tag at the end. You know what the earliest document that we have that has the Lord's prayer? It's the Didache. And you know what? They have that little tag in it. The church said that from as early on as we possibly know um, that little phrase. And so it would have been consistent with Jewish tradition. And it was consistent as early as we have in the church to say that Jesus would have assumed this kind of inclusion to end uh, this prayer. And uh, the church included it. But what in the world does that have to do with God as friend? That's all interesting. But what does that have to do with my first main point? Well, so here's what happens, right? In Luke chapter 11, where Jesus teaches on the Lord's prayer, immediately after he gives the Lord's prayer, he tells a parable that has to do with friendship. Um, This is how the story begins. This is uh, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse five. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he, the friend will answer from within. I don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with it, with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Uh, first, you should know that this is actually a very funny story, even though it's very serious. Okay. This is um, the world that Jesus was telling this uh, parable to was totally different than ours in this regard, that basically every family would have had one main room for their house and they would have all just slept on the floor, like in the same bed. 
right? And so there's mom and dad and the kids and the dog, and they're all just laying there. And so it would have been actually crazy annoying to somebody in the middle of the night to come and rap on your door and say, hey, we got some visitors here and I need some dinner for them. And you you know what? That little knock, what did it do? It woke up the baby. The baby's now crying. The dog's like barking, barking. Somebody's at the door going crazy. And, you know, if that was already the case, nobody's going to start yelling at the person outside and making more of a commotion. All of a sudden, the whole family's up, and everybody knows what happens when the whole family's up. They all want to party, and they can't get them back to bed, right? That's what happens in our family. Um, so it's kind of a ridiculous story, and it's kind of silly. Um, But here's how it goes, okay? Let me continue on, verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend. (laughs) He's like, even a good friend doesn't really want to get out of bed in the middle of the night and fix some food and give it to him. Jesus knows, like, real people, right? Um, He says, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, this parable is typically taught as uh, persistence, just being persistent in prayer. And there's something going on with that. Um, but you have to understand that the main thing that's actually going on off here is social shame, actually. Here's the thing. Most people lived in small towns, and it would have been the absolute normal custom uh, for Jewish people in that day, and actually not just for Jewish people, but in the ancient world, that if a visitor was coming into town and you didn't have anything, you would have actually gone to somebody else. You needed to, pr- to prepare something for them. And if a friend or a neighbor or somebody else didn't, didn't actually provide that for you, everybody would be talking about it. And, you know, they're like, you know, those Rowans, they live at 1624. You know, they got like the ferns that hang outside. They didn't get up and prepare any food. And the whole, all of Midtown would be like, oh, what? They're lame. You know, I mean, that's what was kind of going on in this situation. Everybody would have heard about it. Okay, so persistence, though, is not really the main point that Jesus is making. In fact, not even social shame is necessarily the main point that Jesus is making. Um, He's saying this, that a friend who doesn't get up, you know, wake up the kids, wake up the dog, do everything and like get, get food out... That, that person, you'd kind of question, like, what's going on with their friendship? But even that person who doesn't want to get up would still do it because he understands social norms and caring for others. And he understands that it would bring shame on him. And Jesus says, he's going to get up and he's still going to provide whatever you need. How much more God? The perfect friend. He's comparing a friendship to God. And he's saying, God is so much better than your most perfect Friend, this is how it actually it goes on. Okay, verse 9. And I tell you, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. The kingdom and the power and the glory are the Lord's. He's the king. He reigns over all things. He has all power. He speaks and the world comes into being. And he's saying, I'm the perfect friend. I'll care for you perfectly. Just ask. Seek after me. Knock on my door. I'll jump up. I'll give you more than what you need. Do you notice Actually, the end of verse 8, it says, this friend will give him whatever he needs. That's the Lord's point. 
his kingdom and his power and his glory will be extended towards you. This is what Jesus says right after he teaches the Lord's prayer. Come and ask and come and seek and come and knock. God has all the power to care for you perfectly. And he has the desire to do so. The kingdom, the power and the glory are his. You can come before him asking for your daily bread. You remember when we heard that petition? How it pertains, like bring your final exams before the Lord. Bring the worry about summer and not having a summer job before the Lord. Bring the desire for good governance for our government that, you know, fosters the flourishing of people before the Lord. All things before God. Ask of it. The Lord invites you to ask him. He desires to care for you because he is a perfect friend. That's what Jesus is saying. My kids love having friends over, right? Amen, right? We love having friends over, not normally in the middle of the night, though that, I bet they might like that. Um, and when they're able to, my kids love giving good things to their friends. You come over right now, you're probably going to get a popsicle. If you're lucky, we might make slushies. Like, my kids love doing this because they're a friend. The Lord is so much of a better friend. That's what Jesus is saying. He actually loves it when you ask, when you seek after him, when you knock. And Jesus says, do it. Come and pray. Come and ask these things that I've taught you to ask of me. And I'll meet you in them. Um, the Lord wants to give us good things, dear friends. He does. I love you. Believe that or not, but I'm telling you that that desire that our, our Lord has for you, that perfect friendship desire that our Lord has for you, that will change prayers from just rote words into heartfelt, life-giving, desirous asking, seeking, and knocking. If you know that the Lord actually desires to give you good things, wouldn't you run to him? Say, Lord, hear me. And he would gladly open. So what I'm suggesting to you is that this little tag at the end, the kingdom, the power and the glory, and especially how Jesus sort of finishes the prayer in uh, Luke chapter 11 is God saying, I'm your perfect friend. And if you can actually know the Lord is your perfect friend, you run to him with your prayers, run to him with your desires. He will meet them perfectly. But, um, but the second thing I, I want us to consider is actually at the beginning, right, of the Lord's Prayer. Our God is Father. We begin the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven. Um, so the second thing I think that we need to hear when, when we kind of consider this prayer and think, we don't want just a rote prayer, but we want a heartfelt prayer, is this idea that love is bidding us to, to welcome, right? He's saying, come and come and be with me. And he's doing this as this perfect loving father. So here's what happens actually in Luke chapter 11. If you continue on after that parable, this is what Jesus tells us. What father among you? So he moves from friend to father. He says, what father among you? If his son asks for fish, <laughs> who instead of fish, give him a serpent. I, again, I think you're sort of supposed to laugh. Fish would have been the most normal meal you know, for Jesus, particularly if for most of his life, he was around the Sea of Galilee. 
and you know, a, a, a kid is like, hey, dad, can we grill some fish for dinner? And he's like, I mean, what dad's like, uh, no, I'm going to give you a snake. That's ridiculous, right? I mean, and then check this out. This is the next thing Jesus says. He says, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. You know, like that's crazy. I mean, this is a father who's like, or the, the kid's like, hey, this, is, this happens sometimes at our house too. Hey, can we have eggs? Maybe eggs and bacon for breakfast? I'm like, no kid, scorpion for you. <laughs> I mean, you have to appreciate that Jesus gives us these images that are supposed to waken us up. But also he like gets that there's a little humor and craziness to these, right? So this is what Jesus goes on to say, verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Right? I mean, he says, if you're a sinner and you can't imagine giving your kid a snake for dinner or a scorpion for breakfast, God is going to provide for you perfectly. He's the loving father who knows exactly what you need. And he knows exactly how to give it to you. And he's going to care for you. Come to him and ask. God, his father bids you welcome. Now, our gospel reading this morning wasn't from Luke chapter 11. I want to just consider this beautiful parable in Luke chapter 15. It's the famous parable of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son parable. Um, and I want you to hear this parable not to hear about the son, but to hear about the father. Because the father figure is the God figure here. And um, the parable is much better titled the parable of the prodigal father rather than the prodigal son. After all, what does prodigal mean? Good question, right? Good question. Um, prodigal, I looked this up, comes from the Latin word prodigious, prodigus, which means lavish, extravagant. This is dictionary.com's definitions, okay? Wasteful or recklessly extravagant, as in a prodigal expenditure. Giving or yielding profusely, very generous, lavish. Oh, man, I don't have the rest of my sermon. All right, I'm just going to try to give it. Let's see. I don't know what happened. Okay. Um, lavish, right? Let's think together about this parable of the prodigal son. So there's a man who has two sons. And the younger one says this. Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Give it to me. Which means he's telling his father, Dad, Give me some, give me my inheritance and die. Crazy thing for a son to say. Completely rude. And then this is the thing that we next read. And he divided his property between them. That's reckless. That's extravagantly reckless. Why would anybody do that? Especially when they're living. Who's, who's the prodigal, right? 
So the, the younger son gathers all he has. He takes this journey. He squanders, you know, all of this wealth, all of the, all this stuff that he got. And um, he spends everything. And he gets hired, and you heard it. He, he uh, thinks to himself, uh, how many of my, this is what it says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. The father's servants have more than enough bread. They, the servants themselves have more than their daily bread. What master, at least in that world, would give more than he needed to, to servants? Who's the prodigal? The lavish father, even for his servants. Well, so it says he came, comes to himself and he um, says, I'll arise and go to my father and say to him, this is what he says. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he arises and he goes to his father. And what it says specifically is while he was still a long ways off, while he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Here's what's going on partly here. Okay. Uh, a father, especially someone that had a big estate like that, would have had a long robe. I mentioned this a couple months ago, actually, how the length of your robe in some ways had to do with uh, your, your position in life. And so if it was long, you would have been somebody that didn't work as much. You would have been older, kind of a stately person. And so for him to run would have meant that he, in biblical terms, girded up his loins. Meaning like he grabbed his gown. I, I want to say dress, but it's not. Think of like an evening gown. And he had to hold it up. And run. And nobody would have done that. Unless you were totally extravagant and lavish and prodigal. And didn't mind shame being brought upon you. And he embraced this son that told him, die. And kisses him. Who's the prodigal? It's the father. Lavish, reckless love. Now get this. Okay, so. While he was still, okay, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced, kissed him. Verse 21. And the said son to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Um, you know, which is the same thing that he was practicing. The son was practicing his speech, right? So it's the very same words that we got in verse 18. Um, and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Same exact words. And then the father interrupts him because we know he, those same words were up there. He's been practicing him and he was practicing, treat me as one of your hired servants. And the father's like, no, 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 don't even go there. I'm interrupting you. And what am I going to tell you? I'm going to tell you this. Well, it's going to tell his servant, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. It's just like, grab this, grab this, grab this. You're like, too lavish, too extravagant. Why are you doing this to this runaway son who wanted you dead? Now, who's the prodigal? Father. Of course, if we um, continue on, we see that he celebrates and this older brother gets all mad about it because he's this prodigal father. He's too lavish, too extravagant. Too desirous to extend and to give and to be generous. and He's reckless. But the father even tells this older brother, son, you're always with me and all that's mine is yours. All that's mine is yours. 
This is the fatherly picture that we have of God in the Bible. A prodigal father who lavishes, who welcomes, who desires to give and to celebrate, to embrace, to kiss, to run after. Reckless love. Love bidding welcome. Brothers and sisters, here's what I'm trying to tell you. There's a great temptation in prayer just to kind of say some words. Blah, 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 blah. Kingdom come, well done, earth is. Um, and what the Lord desires of you is for your heart to be there. He gives you the words, but He wants your heart. And what we hear, I think, from just this little tag is that our God is the perfect friend. The one who can give perfectly, who extends his kingdom and his power and his glory for the good of those who he cares about. But also he is this father who is this prodigal father who has a reckless, ridiculous love for you. For you, his runaway child. Or for you, his child that stays close and just goes. He goes, okay, I'll lavish stuff on you too. Come to me. Hear love bid you welcome. Uh, some of you know that the, the uh, famous uh, composer Bach was a devout Christian. And he would always begin his, uh, his com- compositions with J.J. at the top. And I'm forgetting I had it written down, but I don't have my manuscript here. Um, what the second J was, but it was Jesus help. Jesus help. And then he always finished his compositions with S D G. Sola Dei Gloria. It says to God be the glory. And he had this relationship, this heartfelt relationship with a God who was eager to help. Eager to open the door to give what was needed, to embrace the wandering, to give, to be a prodigal friend. He also knew this reality of that God is prodigal father. And so he writes and he does and he works, but he offers it all to God. That is the life that you're being welcomed into. That's what prayer is. Understanding God as this perfect friend and this perfect father. And then running to him, offering your life, your work, Everything before him. So here's what I want to do just to, to end this sermon and even this series is, you know, I told you at the beginning of this sermon that there's a preacher's trick and that's normally like quote a, a hymn or a poem at the end of a sermon, but I did it at the beginning. Well, I want to read it again. Okay. And that wasn't my manuscript, but thankfully it's still right here. Um, but I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this in light of God pursuing you. His, him being the perfect friend and the perfect father. And that that changes all of prayer. That changes all of communion with God. Love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back. Guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning, 
if I lacked anything? A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply. Who made the eyes but I? True Lord, but I've marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. No, you must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Please hear the Lord teaching us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. As love bidding you welcome. Come. Come and be with me. Come and ask. And come and seek. And come and knock. The Lord loves. The Lord loves to answer prayer. He loves it when his children come and ask and seek and knock. May we know this reality of God as father and a friend. And then maybe pray. Pray accordingly. Let's pray. Lord. What beautiful pictures of the perfect friendship. The one who longs to give good things to friends. And the perfect father who doesn't give a child a snake or a scorpion. And a lavish prodigal father. Who's reckless in love. Extravagant in giving. God, move in us, please. And may we devote ourselves to a life of prayer with this one who is love, who bids us to come, to sit, and to eat. Touch us with this good gospel this morning. And may we, as your people, as your children, as your sons and your daughters, devote ourselves to a life of prayer. Asking and seeking and knocking. And then, Lord, may we know the joy of a God who answers. God who responds. God who's there and alive and at work. Blessed be you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.